Hi everyone and welcome back to Dr. Mommy Speaks Parenting Podcast. Today's episode is for all those parents who are struggling with a child having intellectual disability. We will delve deep into a common cause of intellectual disabilities and that is Fragile X Syndrome. And for this discussion, I have with me the chairperson of Fragile X Society India, Shalini Kedia. She founded this organization in 2003 and is working very hard to create awareness on the subject. Hi and welcome back to the show Shalini, it's so great to have you. Thank you so much Rahat, uh, Dr. Rahat, it's really a pleasure being here again. Okay, so uh, we had discussed tons of things about Fragile X Syndrome in our previous interviews but the topic is such that it cannot be covered in one episode. So let's start by addressing a few questions. First, can you tell us how are Fragile X Syndrome and infertility related to each other? For example, if a woman is having trouble conceiving and after appropriate tests, she turns out to be a case of Fragile X, then how does her management look like after that? Um, that's quite an interesting question. So, um, it has been shown that 20% of women carriers of the Fragile X premutation gene have a low ovarian reserve, which translates into fertility issues. And uh, that's why we strongly recommend that before any fertility treatment has started on a woman who is showing you a low ovarian reserve, a low AMH and high FSH, uh, she should be tested for Fragile X. So now when you have a lady in front of you who is having fertility issues and has tested positive as a Fragile X pre-mutation carrier, what are the reproductive options in front of her? The first option is she naturally gets pregnant, which she will not because she is having a fertility issue and that is why she is going to an IVF clinic. So uh, today in India, we do have pre-implantation genetic diagnostics available and uh, I would recommend that be the first protocol is to have the embryos and test the embryos before implantation. Because a woman carrier will have 50-50% chances of passing it on to either of her children. And at a younger age, if you're able to retrieve good healthy eggs and have, an, have enough embryos and choose the healthy embryos, uh, implant them and she can enjoy motherhood. If her uh, ovaries are not supporting enough uh, healthy eggs and she is not going to be getting embryos uh, I don't think recurrent IVF sex, uh, sessions for her is an ideal situation because as she's going to age her ovaries are just diminishing the reserve is diminishing and uh, each uh, IVF cycle comes along with a lot of physical, mental, emotional, financial drain and pressure on the couple. So what I have usually told uh, many women is give it one shot or two shots or look at a donor egg or a donor embryo because your ultimate goal is motherhood. And today when we have a scientific and a medical condition which we cannot beat, we can't change it. So let us look 
at a solution around it so um i really strongly recommend a lot of moms to look at uh, to keep their minds open for a donor egg or a donor embryo um and many of them usually do tell me but it won't be my egg it won't be my child and i say after 5 years it won't matter to you absolutely you you will realize that it was the right decision you took so so uh, pre implantation diagnosis of fragile x from the embryo itself is such an amazing approach and it will help us prevent so many other cases carriers turning out to be cases so right. um, what steps does an adult woman need to take for being able to conceive after being tested positive for fragile x uh i think she should just go to a good uh, genetic counselor and an ivf clinic uh we have quite a few <clears throat> in fact um, i i truly like the approach of fertility dost that's run by um, gitanjali banerji in delhi uh which is a very holistic approach and um, they put you on to the right uh, set of people so i think the next step after a woman knows she is a premutation carrier is to go to a good ivf doctor a genetic counselor and an ivf doctor keeping in mind someone who will keep in mind that uh, the goal is not to do multiple ivf cycles till you succeed in an ivf cycle but the goal is to give this woman motherhood and which might involve uh, a few ivf cycles and then agreeing to a donor egg or a donor embryo that's really nice and also now uh, many ivf centers support a uh, uh, legitimate uh, donors registries where you are allowed to obviously the identity of the donors are not revealed but then they are uh, tested for all possible infections and both the partners are tested so that yes. makes the job even more easier Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, coming to the next question, what is the relationship between fragile X and autism? Um, they are okay. So here comes a little bit of uh, humor. They are like cousin brothers, <laughs> and each one is trying to prove who is stronger. That's the way I like to put it. <laughs> That's uh, nice. On a serious note, on a serious note, fragile X is the only known single gene cause of autism. Uh, when we look into autism, there are a lot of causes that people come up with, uh, whether it's a vaccine, whether it's environment, etc., etc. Medically, fragile X is the only known single gene cause of autism, and around four to five percent of children who have autism actually have it because of the fragile X gene. So, uh, what we usually would recommend is when you see a child with autism, please screen them for fragile X. uh it does sometimes uh you know sound like a very expensive affair because you need to add one more test etc etc uh th- so there are a lot of similarities and overlapping between autism and fragile x children with fragile x do have autistic traits like hand flapping uh repetitive behavior speech problems and that is why it makes it very difficult to differentiate between the two however uh there are 
in my mind i would call it four basic strong differences autism is a behavioral condition fragile x is a genetically defined medical condition autism cannot be tested with a blood test or confirmed with a blood test fragile x is confirmed with a blood test uh for autism there is no prenatal testing available fragile x can be tested prenatally and it can give the parents uh it empowers the parents with the choice of what they want to do and lastly and most importantly there are no targeted treatments for autism but there are a lot of targeted treatments for fragile x so when i tell a parent that okay your child is on the autism spectrum i think you should test for fragile x uh they usually will ask me what will change exactly. my child is still going to be the same uh the therapies are going to be the same my struggles are going to be the same he is still going to be a special child what will change and why should i do the test so my answer to that is if the diagnosis changes to fragile x uh, a child uh, the the features of fragile x will prevail over the features of autism and you can start using the targeted treatments for fragile x on your child when you are planning your second child there are a lot of families i have seen they have one child with autism and then they say we don't want to have another child because they have the fear of having a child with the same condition but today if you've got to know that the child has autism because of fragile x you can prenatally test and take a decision for your next child and another thing is if it is fragile x usually the parents siblings also need to be tested so there is a lot of cascade testing that goes on and other members of the family need to be informed about a genetic condition within the family to let them take uh, empowered decisions for themselves so this is why uh, we very very strongly recommend children with autism should be tested for fragile x absolutely uh this thing about uh once you have a child diagnosed with fragile x and then you uh are actually supposed to be informing the other members of the family so that they can be on the lookout for it and get themselves pre-tested it is easier said than done the condition is such that intellectual disabilities fragile x and autism people try to hide it more and more rather than being open about it so as to be able to help other people so i really wish this uh changes something but then the truth is far from reality so uh you know an interesting part in this is i have come across a lot of uh, families where they have a diagnosis of fragile x and they say we are not yet ready to tell anyone in the family exactly and i tell them i tell them uh if you're not ready don't do it okay i said but if any of your siblings are about to start planning their family then don't hold back because you don't want someone to go through what you're going through or you want them to let it be an informed decision 
if you are in a situation where there's actually no one around you who is into fam- who is going to be growing their family and you don't want to tell your family about the diagnosis it's completely okay because you it's no use stressing over it and on the other side i have stories of families where after telling their siblings about it they have had differences and they say just because your child has a problem you want us to test ourselves etc and it's gone the whole negative route Can so imagine. there are yeah there are like two sides of the coin but yeah it's actually you're doing it for a very good and a social cause you're trying to save someone else from the suffering you're already having but then people don't yeah. tend to understand that yeah yeah uh so now this question is to raise awareness about the difficulties that a parent of an intellectually disabled child experiences so that other people get an idea of it so what difficulties do parents encounter in day to day routine of such a child so let's uh, look at the life of a parent who has a child who is 1 year old and has an development disability or an intellectual disability or fragile x or autism um hypothetically i'm saying the child might not be walking by then he uh, att- demands more attention and is cranky the mother would be spending at least 4 hours a day taking the child for two different kind of therapies uh which would include something to do with speech and something to do with physiotherapy and occupational therapy uh the family spends their resources on because these therapies are not very cheap so uh in a way the family is spending their money their time their emotions on making their one year old child achieve milestones which you don't even realize when an atypical child gets it we just one day see the child walking and celebrate and out here this family is waiting every hour and every minute they don't know whether this wait is going to get over at age 2 at age 3 or in some cases we have children just don't speak till they are 10 oh and the the mother the mother is going to continue going in for those therapies so let's uh, let's hypothetically think of that woman and, and we are living in india we have a social responsibilities towards your family your extended family you have your household chores to be looked into uh not everyone has the facilities to go in for these therapies also and you want to do the best for your child so this i i have just painted a picture of a, a mother who has a one year old baby who is developmentally delayed whatever the issue may be and every night she uh will go to sleep praying that tomorrow is a better day for her praying that maybe tomorrow when she is at therapy the child will take his first steps forward that is that's such a huge dilemma for her and she has to live with it all the time so distressing yes. 
can you shed some light on how we can diagnose a fragile leg syndrome so um the final diagnostics of fragile leg syndrome would be with a blood test uh you test the dna via a blood sample you need 7 ml of blood in an edta tube and that would be the final diagnostic uh, uh confirmation rather uh what would lead a person to think of sending the child for fragile x testing uh, we have a lot of uh, characteristics and physical features uh, physical features would be a longer face large ears a prominent jawline a large forehead a uh, hyperflexible joints um these are a few of the physical features then we look at um you know delayed speech uh, behavior problems uh, cognitive uh, delay and uh, you know sensory integration can be a problem these are a few things so usually uh, what uh, the reason we want to also spread awareness amongst everybody and even if it's a general physician is because uh, in india the first point of contact for a family is always a general physician you'll go to the general physician and say that you know i think there's something not okay and i think something is going wrong or something is missing and at that point if the general physician can pick up a condition it's amazing because early intervention is the key here it early intervention can change the prognosis of the child completely so um these are a few of the giveaways to pick up a child with fragile x syndrome that's nice uh can we move on to the basics of management of a child with fragile x because um also i've seen that most parents bail out on therapy sessions it's either because of the cost or inconvenience or simply because it takes a lot of hard work so how important is adhering to therapy and the sessions which most parents default on um so you've asked me two questions one is management and one is the importance of therapy what do you want me to begin with management okay so uh <clears throat> management of a child with fragile x syndrome begins at home and ends at home and therapies are tools to guide the parents on what to do at home because ultimately the parents are spending more time with the child at home and um if a therapist is giving you homework and something to follow up on it's going to benefit the child a few of the reasons i see uh, why parents don't go for therapy is they they try to get a result too early and especially when it comes to occupational therapy i always tell the parents occupational therapy is not a result you will see per se it is a result your child is feeling and then it will translate into changes in his behavior but you have to give it some time and you have to give it consistency i uh, am a very strong believer in not stopping therapies and i tell families that it is like teaching your child to ride a cycle and the therapies are providing the side wheels 
at a point when the child does not need the side wheels he will drive the cycle without the side wheels but by you eliminating the side wheels right from day 1 you're actually hampering his growth and these uh, so another reason is uh, in fact many families will start off with okay we've started ayurveda or homeopathy or we are going for this prayer and uh, some religious thing and they said that your child is going to be fine by the time he's 7 years old so we are stopping all therapies and i tell them um, all of these are alternate remedies by saying alternate remedies they themselves are telling you we are alternatives we are not the mainstream uh we're not the main line of treatment so how, why would you compromise on your main line of treatment for an alternate remedy today at the end of the day we all have limited resources in terms of time mental ability physical ability money so are you willing to compromise on what we know will definitely work with the child for something that might work with the child you have to make a choice and then of course i think parent support groups make a huge difference like connecting a parent to another parent in the same boat and when they share stories um, that really encourages them to stay on path and stay on the therapy and um, yeah of course it is it is uh, finance is one of the important reasons why many families drop out but um, yeah i mean so from our end whenever we have a family who is even contemplating the importance of therapy and whether you know going for therapy is a money making racket and you don't see the improvement and yeah yeah we do have a lot of all that happening <laughs> and at That's... our end we'll we will always try and give them examples of how at this point your child needs that external help so uh, and another thing is some families uh, get very overwhelmed with the kind of homework rather uh, the work at home with the child that's expected from the therapist and they say that uh, we can't do it and i always encourage them to go back to the therapist and tell them that you know this is not something i can do or this is the hurdle i'm facing so and it can be let them let them handhold you th- through it don't just not go for therapy because you've not been able to do what the therapist has asked that's incomplete If the therapist is asking you for one, two, three, you go back and say, "I did one, but two and three, I can't do it." Let the therapist help you. They they are intending to help you and your child. They are not there to not help you or put you down. And as of today, I think uh, we have amazing therapy centers, amazing doctors in terms of. treatment and management of a child with fragile x syndrome or most of these conditions i don't think we are lacking anything we have the infrastructure we have excellent doctors and teams who are there so we have to make the most of it so the prime thing that is required here since everything else is there is motivated parents 
where they have yes. to keep on going till the child learns to ride his cycle yes uh so that also brings me to <coughs> another lovely initiative by fragile like the sibling support group can you shed some light on that yeah oh that's too cute uh well i just um, it was just one sunday evening and i uh, got a i got a message uh, of a sister on instagram saying that she saw someone's post uh talking about fragilex until then she did not know we existed that there was a fragilex society of india and she was a very keen sister and very interactive and i was like wow this is a good thing and i said uh, of course she later made her mom talk to me etc and then i asked her i said would you like to connect with more siblings in your shoes more siblings who have uh, siblings with special needs uh today being a sibling of a child with special needs is actually not as easy as it may seem to other people uh there is a lot that goes into it this sibling uh sacrifices on uh spending time with the family this sibling watches how the parents are giving more time and attention to the child who needs it and they are probably too small to comprehend why this is happening so uh, having a support system is actually quite cool so we have around 10 sisters on it right now and all of them have little brothers with fragile x syndrome and uh, it was too cute because i started with an ice breaking exercise of saying talk about yourselves and stuff and they all brought in their siblings to talk about like oh my brother does this and my sister does this and this that and um, it's actually quite a, it's quite a nice group and um, they're all very very enthusiastic and um, i asked them also to exchange ideas if they want and um it, it's doing quite well so i i'm i'm one of the the older ones on the group so i'm just <laughs> moderating uh the staff <laughs> not right. with an intention to probe into their conversations but just to moderate it right but uh, i i saw a lot of uh, families interested and then uh, i when i put out the message on instagram i said uh, you know right now we are looking at families who have children with fragile x so we because because the challenges would be different so i didn't want to dilute that and that's why right now the sibling support group is for children who have siblings with fragile x syndrome and they talk about funny things and <laughs> it's good fun you know yeah. what uh, this one dm did it kind of highlighted um, another management strategy of autism uh, people might yeah. not have known that this is also a challenge i mean who thinks about a sibling who's normal when there's a special child in the house just right. the fact that the child is the sibling is so enthusiastic yeah, yeah, wanting yeah. to play with his yeah. brother and yeah, all yeah yeah you're actually yeah. providing them such a with such a nice tool yeah. to interact yeah. with their brothers and That's you know it. i tell you uh, most i'm just probably putting it all together for them but most of their instincts are already there they already know how to handle their siblings and do the best with them so we're just uh, giving them some more ideas of how to do it 
and it's it's really cute you know sometimes say siblings will ask oh i have friends over but my brother never comes and says hi how can i make him come and say hi to my friends and then we give them some small tips and techniques and it works and they get so excited like i always tell a parent <coughs> or cousins or siblings you want to interact with a child with fragile x don't ask him how are you just go there and give him a high five and he is going to respond with a high five and it's a tried and tested technique and it works every single time so yeah it's quite empowering that's really nice okay so what's the age group of uh, girls and currently it's for girls only right because when you get more uh, um, yeah yeah right now i've kind of written 15 years and above hmm so we're looking at sisters who are 15 years and above because i think they themselves also would have similar challenges and similar things they want to discuss um and i wanted that common factor to be there i can't have it very diverse wherein you know someone is talking about something very diverse it's going to dilute the intensity of the group right so absolutely yeah That's really nice. Thank you so much Shalini for such an insightful session and I'm sure many parents are and siblings are going to benefit from this. Thank you so much. You can connect with Shalini uh and the Fragile Like Society of India on Instagram, Facebook and their website. The links will be mentioned in the show notes below. You can also support them either by being aware of this condition or by spreading a word on social media. or by donations on their page that's it for today until then happy parenting